Awesome. Well, I'm excited to jump in tonight, kind of echoing what uh, Swayze said a minute ago. Um, we exist really to exalt the name of Jesus. We hope when you come here, you get to worship him in song. You get to hear from his word because ultimately Antioch might not be the place for you specifically, but I can guarantee you that Jesus is the person for you. And so we want to usher people into that encounter with him, into his presence. And if we haven't met, uh, let me reintroduce myself. My name is Murray. I'm part of the pastoral leadership team here at Antioch. And that's a really just a fancy way of saying I get to partner with Chris and the rest of the team to guard, govern, and guide this church body. And I can't wait to jump in with you guys tonight. We started our summer series last week. Uh, Selah is the name of the series. Chris kicked us off. Um, but tonight, we're going to come together and focus on remember. A few weeks ago, our leadership team and staff team got together, and we just wanted to pray and ask the Lord, what do you have for this body this summer? Where do you want us to go? How do you want us to move forward as a church body together? And almost unanimously, we came back uh, in unison saying, rest. This, this feels like a summer of rest. We spent nine months building and building and building and working, and now we get to rest. It's a summer of rest. And if you're anything like me, uh, typically rest meant I'm going to binge on Netflix for a little bit. I'm going to watch a bunch of shows. I'm probably going to play Halo, maybe a little FIFA. Plays a lot of video games, right? That's not what we're talking about with rest here, though. We don't feel like God is calling us to binge more Netflix or get really good at video games. That's not at all what we feel like he's calling us to. We actually feel like he wants us to rest in him, to practice resting in him. That's what he's calling us to do. And I think that's much different than our typical definition of rest. And we put together an acronym for rest uh, that we'll be preaching off of the next few weeks through summer. I think we're gonna have the, the graphic up here. And like I mentioned, the first week is, re uh, excuse me, remember out of rest, the first R. And so an easy way to jump in with us and participate through rest is uh, a really simple way of thinking about a characteristic of God each week, and then walking through each of these letters. So for me this week, I wanted to remember God's power. I'm reminded of his power in my life. I'm reminded of, of how he saved me, that I was once against God, that I was an enemy of God. The Bible would tell me I was born a child of wrath. But God came in in his power and saved me. He redeemed me. He took me out of the darkness and put me into light. So I remember that. I exalt his power. I exalt God's power in my life. I can speak it with my mouth. I can praise him in worship like we just did. We get to sing. We get to do those things. Exalting means to lift up, it means to elevate. I'm elevating the power of God when I speak with my mouth, uh, that exaltation. The other interesting definition that I looked up for exalt is to cause to increase. So when we exalt the power of God, what we're actually doing is increasing the power of God. And so in a way, kind of a weird thought, exalting is expanding. And if you're anything like me, I want the power of God to expand in my life, in my family's life, and in the lives of people in this city, right? We exalt God's power. Number three, surrender. I want to surrender myself to God's power, meaning it's not my own will, but it's his. 
I surrender that to the Lord. It's his power. If he tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. He's more powerful than me. He created me. So I'm going to obey him. Finally, T for trust. I'm going to trust in his power. As I reflect, I trust that he has a plan for me. I trust that he knows me and he cares for me. I trust him with my life. And so each week for these next few Sundays, we're going to walk through those letters, digging into really what it means to rest as a church body. Again, not playing video games, not binging on Netflix, but what it actually means to rest. So who has struggled in here with short-term memory loss? A couple people, okay, being vulnerable. Like you're losing your keys all the time. You're losing your phone all the time. I had a roommate in college. He was from the Dominican Republic, and he seemed to always lose his phone. It was like four minutes till class, or we're about to go to baseball practice, or we have to leave, and he comes running in the room and says, hey, yo, call my phone, call my phone. I'm like, dude, how do you forget your phone every day? I thought it must be a Dominican thing, and then I married Lakin. It's not just a Dominican thing. Uh, I can say that. She's in kids' ministry. She can't hear me. But there's short-term memory loss, right? What about long-term memory loss? Has anybody suffered from long-term memory loss? For me, I can't remember song lyrics to save my life. I can't at all. I will never remember the words to any song and this is a funny story, but it's actually true. Lakin and I, when we first got married, we actually had a legitimate fight because I didn't remember the words to a worship song. She thought, if you don't remember these words, that means you don't actually care. You don't really want to worship. Like, you're not taking this serious. And she was like real mad. And I'm like, babe, I just, I, I can't remember. I want to, I just, I just can't. And so you might catch me in worship. Like, I want nothing more to memorize the words, but I want to close my eyes and worship, but I'll be like, one eye, like, okay, yep, I read the words. Like, even today, it's like, I've heard these songs before, but I don't know the words, so I have to kind of peek, right? I have to peek. Another one for you, long-term memory loss. Anybody know division? Maybe. See, Kyla knows division. I bet I could give you math problems right now, and you could do it. But for me, and probably a lot of you, you learned long division at one point, and you have no idea how to do it now. I would never be able to sit down and actually show my work on long division. It's long-term memory loss. It's kind of crazy. But I think everyone can relate in one manner or the other to forgetting, to not remembering, right? But the most fascinating thing about the human brain is it's, I mean, it's amazing. Science would tell us that everything that we've ever learned, experienced, or seen is still in our brain. It doesn't go anywhere. Like we didn't, we didn't actually forget it and there's like a, a thing that just shoots it out of our brain. It's actually still there. But there seems to be some kind of breakdown in recalling those things, in retrieving that information. Something else that's fascinating, brains are like muscles. So you actually have to work out your brain. Like you would work out your biceps, you have to work out your brain. So the more we train them, the more functionally beneficial they are to us. Again, science would tell us as we learn more and more about the brain that memory loss isn't an old age thing, right? A lot of us are familiar with like, okay, yeah, of course my grandparents forgot that because they're, they're pretty old. That's actually not the case. 
It says if we continue to work our brains and use them and recall information over and over and train them, our memories are better. They will stay with us. So remembering is actually a muscle that we need to train. So as we go into tonight for remember, I want to frame it as something we actually have to try for. We actually have to engage with our memory to remember something. And of course, God being the creator that he is, he created each and every one of us. He knows this, right? He knows that we need to do this. And we're actually going to look at the lives of the Israelites in the Old Testament and learn from them of how they remembered. We're going to get really practical tonight. It's going to be great. I'm excited because I'm going to give you the answers to the test before we even begin. And just like a good Southern Baptist, like I grew up, I'm going to give you three points for the sermon. And the first one, I think they'll be up here, but the first practical to remembering is remember who you are. The second one is collect your stones. And then finally, the third one is practice the Sabbath. So that's where we're going tonight. The first one we're going to jump into, though, is remember who you are. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 6. But to kind of set the stage before we jump in here, this is Moses talking. Moses has just been on top of the mountain, Mount Sinai, getting the Ten Commandments. He's coming back to the people of Israel. He's going to relay what God has told them, what, he's, what God has told Moses. He's going to tell them, like, hey, this is where we're going to go. This is what we're going to do. This is who you are. So that's the stage in Deuteronomy 7. Starting here in verse 6, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Moses here is reminding the people of Israel who they are. And he's reminding them by telling them whose they are first. Who do they belong to? What team are they on? That's the foundation of remembering who you are. They are the Lord's people. God made a promise and a covenant with those people and their fathers and their grandfathers. But where does this treasured possession thing come from? I think when we look back at Deuteronomy 7, what sticks out to me is treasured possession. The Lord says, this is my treasured possession. We're going to go back to Exodus 19, verse 5. That says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Wow. So the Lord didn't just choose some people for himself. He didn't just choose the Israelites, but he actually had a purpose for the Israelites as well. He had a purpose for why he chose them. And it tells us right here, they're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Does anybody know what a priest is or what a priest does? Anybody know what that is? Okay, not super interactive tonight. That's all right. A role of a priest. Hey, I don't answer from the crowd either. So uh, a role of a priest, though, 
is to mediate or restore between two parties, restore relationship between two parties. And at this point in the story, in Exodus, there's really three characters, right? There's God, Yahweh, the Israelites, and these other nations. Those are the three characters in the story we see here. If God's saying the Israelites are priests, then that means the other two parties need mediation. They need reconciliation, right? And so he sent the Israelites to reconcile the world with himself. That's what he did. But we actually live on the other side of the resurrection. And so not only did God call the Israelites to do that, he called us as believers to be those reconcilers, to be the priests. And if you were here last week, you heard Chris eloquently and boldly preach the gospel. And if that's all true, and we've all received that salvation, then we are those priests. The New Testament would actually change that phrase into saint a lot. They would address the believers as saints. So we were all sinners once. We were transformed into saints. When God saved us, he reconciled us to himself, put us on that reconciliation mission, and called us saints. Now, we still may sin, but our core identity is not a sinner anymore. We are saints who happen to sin. And because of whose you are, right, we belong to God's team as well. We're part of his tribe. Then we get to go and do these things with him. Romans 8, 17, it says we're actually fellow heirs with Christ. So that's pretty massive when you think about the implications of that. And there's a book that I highly recommend if you want to dig deeper into your identity, remembering who you are and who you are because of Christ. That's Neil T. Anderson's book, Victory Over Darkness. Uh, There's a section actually in chapter two that talks about who we are in Christ. It uses kind of first person language to tell us who we are on some of these verses. I think I've got them here for us. I picked out just a few of them just to Again, set the foundation of who we are in Christ now. I am the salt of the earth. It's Matthew. I am a child of God. I am chosen and appointed by Christ to bear his fruit. I am enslaved to God. Remember I said we were created as children of wrath. That's no longer the case. We're now enslaved to God. I am reconciled to God and am a minister of reconciliation. I am a member of a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now, the beauty of these things, of each one of these, I don't know if you noticed it, but they're all true only because of Jesus and his work on the cross. We can't do anything. We can't strive enough to be more salty or more of a child or more chosen, or more enslaved, or more of a member of the family. We can't do more to achieve more. Now, of course, there is uh, ways to make this more meaningful and productive in our lives. That's a pretty easy decision. You actually have to choose to believe some of these things. You actually have to believe that you are reconciled to God. You are a minister of reconciliation. You are appointed to bear his fruit. That's how you see these things manifest more and more in your life when you actually choose to believe them. I love this quote by John Stott. He's a theologian. He's written some commentaries and and a few books, but 
He says this about remembering who we are. In practice, we should constantly be reminding ourselves who we are. We need to learn to talk to ourselves and ask ourselves questions. Don't you know? Don't you know the meaning of your conversion and baptism? Don't you know that you have been united to Christ in his death and his resurrection? Don't you know that you've been enslaved to God and have committed yourself to his obedience? Don't you know these things? Don't you know who you are? We must go on pressing ourselves with such questions until we reply to ourselves, yes, yes, I know who I am, a new person in Christ, and by the grace of God, I shall live accordingly. So as you remember these things God has said about you and he's given you, then you get to be a priest reconciling everywhere you go. You get to reconcile all people to God. And Chris mentioned last week, again, the story of Jesus calming the storm uh, on the boat. Now, if you'll remember that story, Jesus was asleep. He was taking a nap. They're going across uh, the sea there to, to get to somewhere else. But this storm comes. And the disciples who fished for a living, a lot of them, and I'm willing to bet had seen a storm before, see this storm and all of a sudden they're scared to death. They think they're going to die. And they wake up Jesus and Jesus gets up and he rebukes the storm and the storm clears and, and they make it across. But I think what's interesting about that story is Jesus knows his identity, right? He wasn't shaken by the storm because he knows whose he is. He knows he is God's son. He was called for a purpose on a mission. And he knew that day on that boat wasn't the day he was going to die. He hadn't fulfilled the mission yet because he knew who he was. He knew what he had to do. So he wasn't shaken. He knew his identity. He never once doubted it. And we must know, just like Jesus did, who we are. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember what he's done for you. Remember the things he said about you. Now, number two, collecting your stones. Let's take a peek at the book of Joshua in chapter four. This is the lesser known uh, parting of the waters story. Many of you might not know there are actually there are two times when God parted waters. They, he parted the Red Sea when the Israelites were coming out. He actually parts water here again in Joshua 4, 1 through 7. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. And bring them over with you and lay them down in a place where you will lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, that they may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So God's commanding the Israelites to come take something physical to remind them 
of what he's done for their people, to remind them of the covenant he's made with the Israelites, with his people. Now, these Israelites, if you know the story, a generation ago, they were in slavery in Egypt with no hope of ever getting out. God comes in and does all these signs and wonders and plagues and outright mocks the Egyptian gods in front of them. They escape slavery. They're going, he parts the Red Sea. They walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. They get across the other side and then it's like, okay, what do we eat? Oh, okay, well, let's just drop food out of heaven. They get manna to eat from heaven. How do they know where to go? Well, God is a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. I don't know if Y'all have had that experience. I have yet to be led down the street with fire, but the Israelites had that. They got to see God work tangibly, right? But they were still fearful of the giants in the land that they were going to take, even though God continually reminded them with what he did, the signs and the wonders and everything he did for them. They still get to the land. They see the report of the land they're going to take and they said, there, there's giants there. There's no way we could win. We don't trust what God says. So they ended up spending 40 more years just wandering around in the wilderness. And each time we see them forgetting God, that leads them to then disobeying God. Then God comes in, he delivers them. And it's a repeating cycle though. They forget God, they disobey God, God delivers them. They remember God, they forget God. They disobey God. God delivers them. They remember God. You see the cycle, right? You've seen this cycle. I've seen this cycle in my own life, if I'm being honest. But can you imagine being an Israelite and seeing all the things that they saw and then forgetting what God had promised you? You had to be commanded to pick up stones to remind you when you just see pillars of fire and you'd see water parted and food falling from heaven. Well, Lakin and I, we're originally from Arkansas, and a little over seven years ago, we felt like the Lord was asking us to move to Salt Lake City. He was inviting us to move here. Now, everything we'd ever known was in Arkansas. Our family was there. Our first child was born there. That's where we were both from. Like, everything we knew was in Arkansas, but we felt God was calling us to come to Salt Lake City. And in that, we actually were studying the life of Moses and, uh, and we came across this story of the 12 stones. And, and for us, we said, okay, God, if you want us to move, like we need 12 stones. Like if the Israelites didn't have faith, like I'm probably right there with them. Like I'm gonna need 12 stones. Like we need them. And so we, we start collecting our stones. Over a couple months, we see different scriptures that God brings up, he highlights. We see prophetic words from some people we trust and love. There were circumstances that, they weren't coincidence. They just kind of fell in line. And over the course of those couple months, we collected our 12 stones. We wrote each one of those down. And I can't tell you how many times over the last seven years, when anything's been hard, it's been difficult, we go back to those 12 stones. And we say, okay, God, this is terrible. I don't like this. I don't want to be here anymore. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 12 stones. You told me this. You told me we are where we're supposed to be. We know we're not supposed to leave. We know we're not supposed to do anything else because you spoke. You told us these things. We want your 12 stones. So no matter how miserable it is, and we have experienced 
the deepest heartbreak we could have ever imagined in Salt Lake City in a lot of ways. But we have 12 stones. We know where God called us to be and we were obedient to come. We can look back and remember the stones. We remember the voice of the Lord. That's what the Israelites needed. They needed something physical to represent the word of the Lord. This was not only for them, it was for the coming generations. You know, I think about my kids, when or if they ever ask, like, why are we in Salt Lake City? Why, why are we here? We can go back and we can point at this. This is what the Israelites did with those rocks, right? Now I would submit to you that we all need that. We all need something because the lie from the enemy from the very beginning, does anybody know it? He said, did God really say that? Is that really what God wants? Did he really want you to do that? Were you really called to that? Are you really not supposed to do that? That's the lie of the enemy. And so when you have stones, that's the easiest way to refute the lies. The easiest way to refute the lies from the enemy is collecting stones and have those to look at, right? Okay, our last practical is the Sabbath. We're practicing the Sabbath. We're going to look at Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. I can see it on a couple of people's faces. Like, Murray, we're with you on that stone thing. Like, that, that kind of makes sense. Like, I get it. Okay, we'll try it out. But the Sabbath, that's like an Old Testament thing. Like, I don't, do I really need to keep the Sabbath? Like, I don't, I don't know if that's something we're even still supposed to do today. But we're actually going to let Scripture speak for itself. So we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 4. This is the New Testament. It's a long piece of scripture, so buckle up. But therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to you, came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed Enter that rest. And as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, this is Psalm 95. They shall not enter my rest. That's what we're quoting. Since therefore it remains for some of you to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one 
may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So I think I've made the case through Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, that we are required to rest. But why? Why why rest? Why do we need to keep the Sabbath? Well, if you're anything like me, I like to strive. Swayze said something about striving earlier. We are striving. Typically for me, that's uh, I'm in sales for work. That's what I do. I want to make the next sale. I'm striving to be successful at work. I'm doing all these things, but I'm not resting. And what does that actually do? Well, I get fever blisters and I get headaches and I'm short with my kids and I just want silence in my home because my body is screaming for rest. That's what it wants. It wants a Sabbath. Maybe you're similar. Maybe you're not practicing that right now and you see these patterns of frustration. Because for me, if I'm not practicing the Sabbath as the head of my household and the Watts family, that means my wife's not practicing the Sabbath. My kids aren't practicing the Sabbath. That means five of us are actually disobedient to the word of God. And that leads to absolute chaos in our home. So for me, that's why I want to practice the Sabbath. That's why I'd submit to you that you should be practicing the Sabbath as well. So I can tell you to do that, but how the heck do you do that? How do you do the Sabbath? Well, a lot of it I've stolen from Mark Parrott and his partner, Stephen Manuel from Abraham's Wallet. Here's a little shout out. I'm sure your website traffic is going to spike ginormously after this, Um, but they have great resources. And so we've stolen so much from them uh, of how to actually practice the Sabbath. And so for the, our family, the Watts family each week, our Sabbath starts on Friday night. And so we all gather together and, and we start with what's called the Shabbat dinner. Has anybody watched The Chosen? Do you know the show The Chosen? Anybody watch that? They actually do the Shabbat dinner on The Chosen. I don't know if you've watched this. Jesus did it. So there's some credence there. But Fair warning, if you tell people you do a Shabbat dinner, they're going to look at you like, what are you talking about? Like that, I don't know what the heck that is. But the Shabbat dinner for us is a weekly time for us to sit down as a family and remember the Lord. And we do that through a few different things. First, our kids will know this. If you quiz them on it, we get out the nice plates and the nice cups. We kind of make it a big deal. Lakin makes a great meal. So we're all sitting there and, and we go through a routine. We ask some questions to our kids. Hey, kids, what's the Sabbath? Hey, what does rest mean? Hey, why do we do this every week? Why are we resting? Why do we come and and do this? What's the purpose? We have them answer and respond. And in a lot of ways, they've memorized it, and and it's like second hat to them, right? They know we're doing this, but they're actually looking forward to it every week. It's one of the most cherished times in our family because after that, we go around, and uh, part of Mark's... um, instructions that he has, he's put together, uh, would have us lay hands on the sons and daughters. So similar to when we called the Henrys up, we said, man, let's lay hands on them. This is a time of commissioning. We do that every week with our kids. We say, Mac and Sam, we're going to lay hands on you. We want to bless you. We want you to actually walk with the Lord and to be blessed. Luca, we're going to lay hands on you. Even though she hates it, she squirms. She doesn't like it, but we're going to lay hands on you. We're going to bless you to walk with the Lord. We want them to remember that. And then finally, we actually bless the mothers. So Lakin has prepared this meal. She's taking care of our home all week. We come and lay hands on her. We say, Lakin, we bless you with rest. We want you to enter into this. 
And we take communion. Every week we take communion together. We break the bread. We drink the wine. We remember what Jesus did on his cross. The new covenant that we get to walk in. What did Jesus do for the Watts family? We get to tell our kids every single week about that. I tell myself every single week about that sacrifice. And then for us, we eat the meal. We have a really good dessert. And then we end with a family movie night, you know. All that's uh, the ideal night for us. By no means is that where we started. So I don't want you to hear this and think, oh my gosh, Murray has this huge thing he does. And if we don't do that, we can't practice the Sabbath. And wow, that was a great sermon until it got really hard. And that's impossible, right? That's not it. We started with ordering Costco pizza and watching a movie on Friday nights and saying, hey kids, it's time for the Sabbath. That's how we started. There isn't for us in the new covenant a strict, you must do this to Sabbath. You have to check these boxes to do that. That's not the point. It's not the point at all, actually. The point is that you do rest. It's commanded in scripture. It says we're disobedient if we're not practicing that. And so practicing the Sabbath has really been a game changer for our family. We're working from rest now. We don't have to rest from work. We're recharged on the weekends. We know we're going to get with the Lord. We're going to do things we enjoy together as a family. A lot of times it's soccer games as a family. Like we love doing that. That recharges us. That's rest for us. It's not watching Netflix all day. Although it could be sometimes. I don't know. Um, but we're drawn to a close tonight. Those are my three points. I told you that's, that's where we're going with, with three of them. I want to invite the band back up here because we're going to have a response time. This has been hopefully very practical for everyone. And so they're going to come up. They're going to play something beautiful, instrumental, I hope, in the background. Uh, and, and we're going to take time to respond. You'll notice there's um, post-it notes. It's going blank on what those are called. Post-it notes under your seats. And this time, as we play in our response, I want you to take the post-it notes, or maybe you got a journal from us last week, one of the rest journals. It's a great time to start thanking the Lord for what he's done, remembering who he is, what he's done for you. And they're sticky notes because you can take them and you can put them in maybe your Bible, you can put them in your journal, you can put them on your mirror at home. But it's a really easy way to remember remember the rest that the Lord's inviting us into. And so we're really just going to take a few minutes to be silent, to ask the Lord what he's speaking, what he's wanting you to remember. And we're going to write those down and I'll come back here at the end and close us. But um, that's where we're going to spend the next few minutes.
of you spent time asking the Lord what he would have you to remember. This is really just the start of the summer. This is the foundation of where we're going, of remembering the Lord. We're remembering, we're exalting, we're surrendering and we're trusting. That's where we're leading you through this summer. We wanna use these as building blocks, right? That you keep with you, that these are stones set before you, that they're reminders of what team you're on, of who you are. Each and every day, we wanna practically step into this remembrance. Again, it's a muscle that has to be used, has to be worked out. And so as we continue responding, we're gonna respond by exalting the name of Jesus in song. At the beginning, I told you that exalting was actually expanding, right? So maybe that expansion is actually in your own heart. Maybe he wants more of your heart. And as you sing with your mouth and praise him with your words, his kingdom will expand in you. Maybe it'll expand all over this city. That's our heart as Antioch here together. We don't gather because we like singing good songs or you get mediocre preaching, right? We, we want to see the kingdom expand. We want to exalt his name. And so our band's going to lead us as we finish up.